In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace to all on this beautiful Easter Sunday, and a very happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are here, and your mom wherever she may be. I have long desired, as you may know, to preach sermons from this little book titled The Resurrection, Experience Life in Christ. Over 200 copies were taken, I'm sure all diligently read, of course. I've been prevented of that as late because of various current events in the church and in the world. And as you may or may not know, I'm always reticent to preach on current events because today's current event is tomorrow's old news. But as I was paying attention to current events, hearing and meditating on the scripture of the good shepherd whose voice calls out and calls to his people, I was reminded of this passage from the end of this book. So a brief quotation from the book says, Apostles nowadays must not just work miracles, they must also restate the obvious, which makes them more ridiculous than ever. They proclaim that fire burns, that day is not night, that the grass does not grow better when you pull on it, that the cow is an herbivore, that a child is born of a man and a woman, in short, that there is an order to reality. Now that quote struck me, especially that line, the apostle nowadays must not only work miracles, but also restate the obvious, which will make him appear ridiculous. How so? Well, again, as I assume you may know, earlier this week, a draft opinion from the Supreme Court was leaked to a news outlet, and that draft opinion gave an argument for the overturning of the Supreme Court decision Roe v. Wade, which in 1972 made abortion a constitutional right. This engendered all kinds of reaction. What struck me was on the, later on that day, the president of the nation, and I don't mean this as a screed against the president, but he gave an interview. And I want to quote directly from the White House's, this comes from the White House webpage of what the president said in response to this topic. He stated, quote, Look, think what Roe says. Roe says what all basic mainstream religions have historically concluded, that the right, that the existence of a human life and being is a question. Is it at the moment of conception? Is it six months? Is it six weeks? Is it quickening like Aquinas argued? And I'm going to pause there because when I heard this, I thought, well, this is where I feel like the restating of the obvious makes me feel ridiculous. I don't want to, I don't know how the president defines basic mainstream religions. I'll take a very fundamental view of that, right? Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, right? Those are considered the basic mainstream religions. And then he says, historically concluded. That was utterly vexing to me. Do you find all kinds of people who claim religions that say all kinds of things? Well, certainly you do. God save us in the social media age. But it is quite simple to know. Historical Judaism, historical Hinduism, historical Buddhism, historical Christianity, historical Islam have always opposed abortion. So I don't really know what he's getting at. It becomes even more curious when he himself directly inserts Thomas Aquinas and quickening. Now, I know to what he is referring. He's referring to the Summa Theologica, 
wherein St. Thomas Aquinas discusses the question, when does the human soul enter the body? So in the 1300s, Thomas Aquinas is taking a philosophical understanding of this. He contends that the soul enters the body at what he calls the quickening, when you detect movement. Now, what is singularly ironic about the president's quotation or assertion of Thomas Aquinas is that Thomas Aquinas, two things. Number one, when Thomas Aquinas defines quickening, he means it as movement. If Thomas Aquinas had a microscope or could see an ultrasound, he would understand that move, like what Thomas Aquinas defined as movement would be cell division. And secondly, Thomas Aquinas stated that because we're not exactly certain when quickening first happens, that's why abortion must be opposed. So it is ironic yet almost ridiculous on a certain sense that the president uses this to somehow contend that we don't know what this is. And more fascinating, this is the continuation of his quote. He says again, quote, I mean, so the idea that we're going to make a judgment that is going to say that no one can make the judgment to choose to abort a child on a decision by the Supreme Court. Exactly. This is a child. What, what is a child? And again, I don't mean to be screedy or judgmental, but I'm saying that is precisely it, that a boy or a girl is born of a mother. That's a child. Yes, exactly so. You have said it quite Right. We are not going to say that legal powers can tell you you can kill your children, especially your unborn children. Now, that moves us to the wider public reality. On what basis does the Supreme Court argue that abortion is a constitutional right? It does so. Roe versus Wade cites directly the Ninth Amendment. Now, I know you all memorized your Constitution, but just in case, all right, the Ninth Amendment says, quote, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Okay, so they use the Ninth Amendment to assert that there is a constitutional right to abortion. I won't go into the whole legal history. This gets was much can, objected to in its own time to our own day. A person I will quote to you is Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, now deceased, who in her confirmation hearing in 1975, in a very prominent lecture in 1992, in a lecture I'm going to quote from in 2013, and in many other instances, argued that Roe versus Wade was bad law. Now, this is someone who was pro-abortion herself, but arguing that this, the case was bad law. Here's my quotation from a lecture she gave at the University of Chicago Law School in May of 2013. She says, quote, My criticism of Roe is that it seems to have stopped momentum on the side of change. Roe isn't really about woman's choice. It's about the doctor's freedom to practice. It is based on an erroneous premise. It's not woman-centered. It's physician-centered. So that this narrative, if she claims, of a woman's right in the Constitution is based on a false legal premise. This is a pro-abortion person. I merely bring that up to state that in the context of law, right, and here is, again, did I inject religion to this? No, the President of the United States, who's very pro-abortion, gives a false religious claim for this. Jesus Christ stands before Pontius Pilate, a pagan 
political ruler and says, whoever hears the truth hears my voice. So there is a public effect to all of this. So that a society meditates and say, is it really so that there is a constitutional right to abort your child? That seems quite dubious. Morally, we already done the answer for that question. The civil society now meditates on it. Can you have acknowledged false legal premise at the heart of a constitutional right and expect well-ordering of your society? I would submit to you that the reaction we have seen on legal meditations, no one's even made a decision. This is not a Supreme Court decision against Roe v. Wade. It's the pondering that, hey, what everyone has said for 50 years, including very pro-abortion people, even on the Supreme Court, is that this is bad and erroneous law. So we're saying it as such. We as a society say, yeah, saying you can kill your own children as is a constitutional right is super bizarre at the least. It moves now to the other quotation that I wish to make from this book. Right? This is one of the very last things he says. It says, while the engineer designs a superman, God creates the man and the woman. This is why the church today is waging countless battles on unexpected fronts. Inspired by the spirit, she glorifies the flesh. As the depository of the supernatural, she becomes the guardian of nature. Calling people to be holy, she defends sex. And that is why it is no longer enough to say, as in the past, God became man so that man might become God. It must also be added that God was made man so that men and women might remain human. I found that terribly insightful. And frankly, it moves us to a brief meditation on Mother's Day. God became man so that men and women might remain human. There might be a right ordering to society in the midst of all the turmoils of the world. There's a beautiful quote from a Swiss cardinal that I like about mothers. He said, quote, A mother is someone who can take anyone's place, but no one can take her place. All of us have had very different experiences of mothers. Whether mother is some sort of goddess, warrior, princess, or mother is something different, sometimes more criminal and evil. All that happens, but it is to enter deeply into humanity. And that is my summation point in all of this. Yes, reason, logic, law, and order are on our side in this particular issue. And our society must struggle to govern it thusly. And we who are Christians acknowledge that God became man. So yes, you and I might live the life of God, but also amid all the turmoils of the world, we might remain human and enter deeply into human realities. Do I claim a moral superiority because I have accompanied women through very difficult pregnancies? No. I'm not a woman. I don't live their life. I adore women because they seem a great mystery to me in a beautiful way. And like any kind of mystery, sometimes I don't understand it at all. But what I do understand is that the call to motherhood and the icon of God who was born of a woman is a deep call for all people to embrace nature and all its beauties in all its horrors, 
in all of its ordinariness, and by our willing to bear any burden, we will show yes in all the myriad ordinary days, in all the many beautiful days, and even through the awful days, that it is good to be human, and it is good to know that humanity is loved by God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.